1: Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Varex, and uh, today is the 13th of uh, October, 2018. Let's get right into the show. But before we do that, I just want to quickly make a comment and say that last time I was on here, I did talk about completing the show notes. I am still a little bit behind in the show notes. Forgive me, please. Um, they're taking a little longer than expected, and I've been really busy at work as well. So if you guys could just hold on a little longer for some of the uh, remainder of the show's uh, show notes – I'll be coming uh, to you real soon so today I have a good friend a special guest my friend D are you doing D good how are you doing fantastic fantastic and uh, you know D and I have a lot of agreement when it comes to economics and some pol- uh, some of our political issues but you know something that him and I have talked about consistently over the last few years is just how much myths there are concerning you know the free market capitalism free enterprise and all these things. And I thought today something that would be really interesting is uh to bring Dion today, kind of discuss, you know, economics, capitalism a little bit, debunk some myths out there, and then kind of talk about the alternatives that other people bring up in, you know, either to replace capitalism or, you know, as a better site uh, or better future of, of capitalism, you know, for instance, some people suggest socialism, some people suggest uh, you know, social democracy meaning having a market and heavily heavily uh Subsidized social safety net. So I think today, something that we should do is focus, at least, start with the definitions of economics. Now, what what do you got to say about you know your definition of economics? So what do you see as economics as a tool to do?
0: Uh, allocate scarce resources. Make okay, sure that cool. things go to where they need to be yes. based on what supply and demand economics.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. I would I would definitely agree with you on that. And you know, common examples for the people out there, you know, of these. Quote unquote scarce resources, you know, these include labor, natural resources, capital, land. Um, but again, another important thing that I think we have to discuss before we get into economics is there's never going to ever be enough of these scarce resources satify, to satisfy everyone completely, meaning there's always going to be scarcity. Now, I think that a lot of people tend to like not pay attention to, you know, how to allocate these scarce resources. Because the main term in that whole phrase is scarce, right. so meaning that it's not fi- it's it's finite. There's no infinite amount of uh, you know, or no infinite amount of anything. Uh,
0: and that's why these decisions require such careful thought, you have exactly. to decide where these things are going.
1: Exactly. But you know, to to comment on that definition of economics, I think I'd take it a little step further. There was an economist out there named uh, Julian Simon, and Julian Simon had a book called uh, The Only Natural Resource, and what he was referring to is the only true natural resource is the human mind, human ingenuity. That, you know, let's say, you know, we've been at peak oil for the last 20 years, 25 years, but let's say, you know, oil was to run out. His, his whole thing is that there's no such thing as quote unquote a natural resource. The only resource is the human mind, meaning that we can create new things and innovate and create new, you know, terms of alternative fuels and alternative energy. So I think that's like a pretty, pretty important distinction. But again, I think, you know, at least in my Definition. I think economics is the study of cause and effects, and primarily it should focus. So, economic policies are are mostly. You should only judge. I, mean, I would say you should only judge economic policies by their consequences and incentives versus their goals and motivations, because some of the worst things in the world were done with you know the best intentions. Right. You know. So I I think that's a problem. But you know, since we got that defined, what would you what would you say capitalism is?
0: Um. I mean, if you don't mind, I'd like to go right into the definitions because I don't like semantical arguments. Do it. Go ahead. ahead. I mean, Merriam-Webster defines capitalism very clearly. It's Mm -hmm. an economic system characterized by private corporate ownership Mm -hmm. of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision, Mm -hmm. and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition In a free market. Mm, And the key words in that definition that that I feel are always overlooked Mm. is the private decision, meaning Mm. no government participation. Mm -hmm. Private people – excuse me, private participants in the economic system Mm -hmm. are individuals acting on their rational self-interest. They're Mm -hmm. not coerced by some sort of compulsory force. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, the free market. Mm -hmm. And free market is defined simply as an economy operating by free competition.
1: Mm. So when you so basically you would you'd categorize a free market as a an institution that is not necessarily um to, you, know, you would say that the fundamental foundation of a free market is voluntary consent between individuals to trade, to make right. a trade.
0: Right. I wouldn't call it an, we call it an institution, right? Because I yeah. mean, someone had to put it there.
1: Well, that's another that's – see, that goes into one of the myths. Many people have a myth stating that, oh, well, you know, capitalism was created, that this was just some type of creation that, you know, happened and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at least from my perspective, I think you might agree with me on this, that, you know, Historically speaking, capitalism and, you know, the free market and all this stuff really happened through spontaneous spontaneous order. So, in you know, the market system really wasn't created as much as the system that evolves out of the human interaction and human innovation. It's a platform. Yeah. So trade. exactly. So like think about language. You know, the market market economy was not created by a single person or a group of people but it evolved over a long period of time, just like the English language from old Germanic and, you know, add editions of Latin and other, all this other stuff in there. But what happened? Now we have the modern day English that we have. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, to, to look at the free market and say it's created. See, this is what people don't want to admit. We are part of nature. Humanity is part of nature. And what we do is also natural.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, I mean this, uh, this is, I have no choice but to agree with you. <laughs> well, yeah, of
1: course, but but a lot of people will say that, you know, a lot of the stuff that humanity does is unnatural, not part of the way things should be going in in society. But when you think about it, we are the most natural thing out there. We're just the smartest natural thing out there. And you know, we're the we you know, compared to monkeys who build like little forts and you know and trees, <laughs> we built you know the Empire State Building and the Sears Tower and all these other things. So I, like like you said, it's 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 important to distinguish that there isn't a a group of people, you know, creating this system. It happened through spontaneous, natural, spontaneous order.
0: And the point is, it's a mutual transaction that occurs within this platform.
1: It's mutual, but it's also voluntary. And that's another right. thing that you mentioned, like there's no coercion. When we, when we say voluntary, what do we mean? We mean that nobody, no outside force is putting any pressure on the people who are trying to make a voluntary decision to do something. So... There's no commissar telling people what and how to do it, particularly, and what and what they can and can't do, what they can and can't say.
0: Now, is it is it despot or despo? Despot. Despot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and then that's in, in terms of liberty. If you were to define liberty, which is what you know, capitalism is trying mm-hmm. to maximize, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, you know, in, in the sense of uh, liberty, it, it's one of the definitions given in sense one e. Of mm-hmm. Webster, Just to go back. Yes, to that. yes, yes, please do. I want it. It's the power of choice. But then in one C, you know, they talk about freedom from arbitrary or despotic control mm-hmm. being a ruler with absolute power mm-hmm. and authority who's exercising power tyrannically.
1: Exactly. Now, something we need to make make evident here is that when power is tyrannical. What do we? What do I mean by that? What do you mean by that? Now, for me, it means that coercion is the main way things are done in the society. Right. That's that's what it means to me. That that you know, free choices, the ability to, to make free choices, and you know, freedom of movement and freedom of association. All those things don't exist. And what's the metric for determining I, tyrannical? power? Exactly. And I think the metric has to be.
0: Uh, anytime there, you know, you're well, forced any, to do something. Anytime like, liberty is right. is infringed
1: upon. So I think that's how we can measure, you know, quote-unquote totalitarian regimes and all these other things in terms of – specifically in terms of their economic freedom. Now, like we just talked about, you know, uh, the capitalism was created. This is a myth. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Please well, go ahead. How did
0: How did the name of capitalism come about? Wasn't it Marx when he was writing Das Kapital describing this system mm-hmm. that, that it was finally called capitalism? Yeah, or I, am I, I wrong? I mean – From I,
1: what I understand, I, I believe that characterization is correct. Now, but another thing that people – would like to not focus on, you know, capitalism, just because of the name. And this is a Marxian Marxian thing, is that it focuses on capital. The only thing that capitalism cares about is capital, meaning, you know, uh, your your uh, money and your, your your equipment, equipment, and all this other stuff. I mean, break break down some of some of, break down the definition of capital from what you've learned in in your in your studies. Or your well, years. I
0: mean. It- In terms of my studies, so you're talking about finance, capital is typically, you know, it's money, security, something that can be reinvested in the markets. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about economic capital? You're talking Mm -hmm. about heavy machinery, anything that can be used to create more of anything else.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now, that's not what capitalism focuses on. But most people would like to say that that's what it focuses on and that's what's going on. But in reality, capitalism focuses on the consumer in a lot of ways. And what the so at least in my opinion it focuses on the needs of the consumer, the needs of the average citizen out there. And what do businesses and entrepreneurs do? They create goods, they create things, they create services that that feeds the need of the people based on supply and demand, right? Well,
0: I don't know because I mean because if we're saying that then we're saying that they're separate participants in the market. Well, I think no, no, the business, I, I the so. consumer, are the same people.
1: Well, I, exactly. I mean, ultimately, they're the same people. But what what I'm saying is the distinction I'm trying to make, at least, is that the the that businesses depend on consumers willing to buy their products and services.
0: The general demand in the market.
1: Exactly. If they do not provide, so for instance, so it could
0: be business to business.
1: Yeah, Exactly. It Doesn't matter no, who. Right. Consumers are consumers. Um. But the thing is, businesses serve consumers' needs and wants and desires. Through the market system, through the price system, through, you know, uh, capital allocation, all this other stuff. But the problem that I see is that people tend to look at the money and the, you know, the, the quote unquote, the capital and the goods and all this stuff, the equipment and not tend to see that it really what it is, it's a voluntary agreement between one person and another person. It has to be. Otherwise, there's no deal. Exactly. Exactly. And something that I, I want to, you know, make a mention, make a point to is like another myth. You know, that, that people love to put out there. And this, this makes me angry and this, you know, kind of infuriates me at times because, uh, usually people, when they make this claim, this claim isn't founded on the data that's been being, is being out there. So I'm just going to give, uh, the, so the, basically the claim is that capitalism makes the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. This is a fundamental Marxist, Marxist critic, you know, mar- criticism of capitalism. When Marx criticized capitalism, this is one of his main things that he criticized, that when he saw capitalism, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer.
0: I think Andrew Crowner, you would disagree. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, But again, this is this is something that with a little bit of research, people can look into and people can figure out like, you know what? Maybe that isn't the most accurate way or the most accurate estimation of what's going on in the world. So I've talked about this before and I wanted to bring it up today. Because you know the "quote-unquote" capitalism is making the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So, over a billion people have been lifted out of poverty since 1990. Right, a billion people.
0: It's a lot. Yeah, in in case and, anyone exactly. About scale. Yeah, in tw- in
1: twenty years. You know, man, people were. Comp- you know, this is I'm talking about dollar ninety a day, horrible, terrible poverty. People were able to get themselves out of a billion people, and this is not my numbers. This is not some capitalist um institution that gave these numbers out, this is the UN, mind you. This is the UN. So as we can see, this is what's been going on. But again, Stephen Pinker in his book Enlightenment Now, he mentioned that if <laughs> if the newspapers could run, you know, if they could really tell the truth of what happens with human progress and how human progress has changed, the newspapers would say, the headline could run Number of people in extreme poverty fell by 137,000 since yesterday, every day for the last 25 years. See, people, instead of, see, instead of looking at that quote right there and looking at that fact, people are just going to, you know, throw out tropes and throw out, you know, platitudes that make that, you know, that reaffirm their presuppositions about the world rather than looking at the data and saying, well, this country has lifted, you know, X amount of people have been lifted out of poverty, so I think it's important for us as individuals to focus on the betterment of society. And again, is it, is it the West, quote unquote, the West that's, you know, rising right. out of poverty? It's, it's the why that becomes a question. Yeah. And it, exactly. And the thing is, this is, this is happening in China. This is happening in India, right? This is not happening, um, randomly right now. I mean, this is, this is the way, this is the way things are moving. And, you know, this fundamentally goes into a zero sum thinking. And you know you and I have had conversations about zero sum thinking. Right. Now, what do you think is the main reason people have a zero sum type of mindset? What do you think that comes from? Do you think it's do you think it's because there's a misunderstanding about what capitalism and free markets are or do you think that it might be connected towards a uh, not 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 necessarily a jealousy of the success, but I would I would I would maybe say uh, a a, mis, a misunderstanding of how success and how wealth is created. I think that's it, right there. Okay. The
0: wealth creation, because wealth I mean, creation. when I was in economics courses mm-hmm. uh, for my degree, um, mm-hmm. I took an international economics course, ah, right? Interesting. And at that time, I'm I'm looking at this, all these terrible injustices, and I'm really mad, and I'm 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 really passionate. I want to solve these issues. Like, of there has to be solutions to these issues, of course. And I had a very brilliant professor, blessed to have him. <laughs> yes. And he helped me get get out of that zero sum thinking. And mm. I'm, and at the beginning of the semester, I'm thinking. You know, this, there's – it's it's that wealth creation problem. Mm. People don't understand that wealth can be created. Mm. When you hear economics and you hear that definition you gave, not I mean, at the beginning of the show about yeah. economics and scarcity, mm-hmm. when you think of scarcity, you're thinking there's – okay, there's only X number of this resource, yep. uh, Y number of people that have to have this distributed to them. Mm-hmm. So here's the function mm-hmm. and there's a limit on this function. Mm-hmm. So – we have to figure out how to make sure everyone gets a good piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. But what people don't understand is that this is not one constrained pie. It's not mm. one sized pie.
1: Exactly. With
0: a certain diameter. No, this pie is growing. It's not one person hoarding all these slices of the pie and then everyone else is fighting for the slivers or the crumbs. Mm-hmm. Or the, the little pieces of the crust that everyone yes. loves so much, you know. Well, it's 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 this pie that's growing, and that can consistently grow over time.
1: Yes, I mean, I have to. I'm in hundred percent agreement with that statement right there. But I think you know something to to point to, because you know we t- we can talk about you know theory and stuff, but let's let's point to history real quick. Sure. Take uh, Standard Oil, right? Take um, yeah. Rockefeller. What was he doing before he got into gasoline, kerosene, right? Yeah, for lights. What happened? Okay, so he had a he had an X amount of a piece of the pie. Well, what right? was
0: before kerosene? It was, it was whaling.
1: Exactly, exactly. And then what, what what happened right there? When he created kerosene, when he when he you know made that a very cheap product and you know produced as much as he did, the demand for uh, for whaling decreased. Right. What happened to the population of whales? Increased. Increased. And what happened to people whaling? Decreased. Right. But why? Because of a market innovation. Mm-hmm. But what happened to Rockefeller a few years later? Not a few years, maybe like 10, 15 years later. What was the next market innovation that, that kind of put a monkey wrench into his business? Edison. Right. Edison came out with a light bulb. What did that do to kerosene? Drove the prices down and made it pretty much irrelevant. What did he have to do? He was you know smart about it and decided to go to oil. You know? Right. And the thing is, it's like, look. Well, even
0: he, before oil, there's the fear of coal running out, right? Well, and yes, they, exactly. And they said, well, once coal runs out, then- you know they're going to have to deal with this crisis
1: exactly, and and people have been talking about crises with with natural resources for resources for a while. And I I mean I understand where some of these people are getting their their intuitions from, but honestly, I think the data is um quite quite the opposite of what they're saying, particularly right now. I mean we're going to be mining asteroids in in a few you know decades, if not a few years.
0: So Milton Friedman had a really good point go about this yes. this scarcity problem, okay, right? Yes. So he was talking about um. He's talking about oil in this lecture and he, and he he took this article, I can't remember who it was mm-hmm. that the article was um he was he was writing on behalf of. Uh so in this article though, he took the word coal mm-hmm. and replaced it with oil. Mm-hmm. And this whole article is about how we're going to have to come to terms with what we're going to do about energy. There's going to be this huge crisis. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, he, he reveals to the crowd, yeah, this whole article was about coal. And look at us now today mm. with, with this abundance of oil, this great resource that we can – and people are all worried about it's, it eventually going to be running out. Yes, exactly. But he, he made this point where he said, you know, so how much oil was there in the world before we discovered oil?
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing. None. None. There, was no oil. There, was no such, there was no. There was no such there was no such concept.
0: It, it, exactly. So so the scarcity problem was it wasn't real.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because we we're, were in a primitive state as human beings. I mean, we were, you know, uh, you know, self-sufficient farmers for hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, like you said, humanity has been here 200, you know, some even say 400,000 years. And what, 99.99% of that? Yeah. I'd we were living that. We were living as like sustaining sustaining farmers.
0: Ignorance, poverty, and misery. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Based pretty on much. That article. Pretty
1: much, exactly. But what happened? What happened 250 years ago? Like you said,
0: ordinary people uh, industrialized the world. Yeah, generated and, unprecedented rates of growth. Exactly,
1: exactly. And and the thing is, you know, people make like I said, people make the arguments: the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Let's. let's take, I said, you know, I, I mentioned China, but let's let's talk about you know, you and I looked at this study. Um from Brookings Institute, which is you know a, a center left institute that necessarily isn't the biggest supporters of laissez faire or uh you know free markets as like we like to uh, classical, you know yeah exactly look yeah. look at each other um so something they said that I found interesting, so today, as of today in the world, and this was done last last month the end of last month, fifty percent of the population, about three point eight billion people classify. Or live in households with enough discretionary expenditure to con- be considered middle class or rich. Okay, by twenty thirty, and let me get let's get let's get the numbers down real quick. So by 20, 2018, September, you had six hundred and thirty million people that are poor, three point which is horrible, terrible, three point one six billion that are vulnerable that are that are, you know they're on the line be- become becoming poor again and becoming middle class, and then you have the middle class which are 3.59 billion and then you have the rich at 200 million. So right here we can see something. Quote, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Okay. So that's the numbers and we talked about a million people getting lifted out of poverty since the you know since the 1990s. So you see right here that the numbers is not in the favor of the rich getting richer necessarily. Right. But it's necessarily showing that the poor are getting less poor, the richer that, population is obviously well, growing. The richer population is growing. So that's the numbers of today. Now, let's get into the numbers of the future. So, this, by 2030, Brookings Institute has said that the middle class will have dominance. So, remember how we said that the poor were 630 million? By 2030, that number should go down to 450 million. Remember how we said that the vulnerable were at 3.16 million? They're going to be going down to 2.3 Uh, I mean, 3.16 billion. It's going to be going down to 2.3 billion. You know, basically a reduction of a billion people pretty much. But what is most interesting to me is that the middle class is going to be growing by 1.7 billion people by 2030. And the rich, of course, is going to be only going up by 100 million. So as, as, as this is shown to me, this is, this, as this is, you know, giving me an insight. This shows that you know when people say the middle class is disappearing the middle class is you know going away where <laughs> well as far as i'm looking worldwide the middle class is growing and it's the poor and vulnerable that are going away so you take good. this take this it's very good we don't like those people <laughs> <laughs> we only like them when they have money exactly right so that's that's a whole nother thing that people like to uh, to to throw on us, particularly people that you know who are pro liberty, who are pro markets, pro free markets, pro capitalism, what they basically would say when we any any of the points we brought today right. will instantly say that oh well you guys don't care about the poor you don't care about here that's well, the, I care about them enough to give them money well exactly <laughs> yeah right but the thing is like what I care about most importantly when it comes to the poor and the impoverished and the people that have worked hard right. to you know make make a life for themselves is You know, especially as somebody whose family are immigrants and, you know, hearing the immigrant story of, you know, my, my dad's uncle, my great uncle who came here in 29 and, you know, he had no money in his pockets, opened up, opened up a business at the beginning of the depress, you know, right at the heart of the depression. Start out, you know, this is, this is a struggle. Exactly. And this is a struggle that people live through. But what's nice to know and what's vindicating and it's beautiful is that this is starting to disappear. The idea that there's going to be poor and vulnerable people is starting to disappear, meaning people are being lifted out primarily because of liberalization of their governments, liberalization of their economies right mm-hmm. this is starting to take place now at a at such a crazy rate that the majority of the world you know it already is the majority of the world is middle class, but it's going to continue to become the majority of the world so this is the problem I have with that with that type of you know b s identification that the middle class is disappearing according to what According to who? Right. Are these numbers coming from, you know, uh, Venezuelan, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, um, university? Because income, <laughs> because inequality, the middle class are disappearing from Venezuela very well. I mean, the government did a great job doing that. You know, like for instance, I mean, this is what gets me angry when we talk about, you know, uh, the myths. And, you know, a lot of these myths are perpetrated by people that have never read Milton Friedman, that have never read Ludwig von Mises, that have never read, you know, um, any of the people out there that are fighting i mean uh hernando de soda so hernando de soda is a um he's an economist that deals with developmental con- you know countries that are developing developmental right. economics right i mean this guy has article after article book after book proving with data and statistics and numbers that show that after these policies you know western you know quote unquote free market liberal policies which are essentially not policies well exactly just, well, just
0: get out of the way people don't give the well, poor enough yeah. credit for making the right decisions
1: well and and, and again that's and that's something I that you the issue
0: about. i mean i'll give credit to to people who say you know um the, the poor are, are constrained by certain circumstances yes. and their risk aversion may be higher because they can't afford to take that loss exactly. or economic shock exactly absolutely fair yes but Getting out of their way is the best policy, as opposed to. And, I mean, I mean, obviously you have to extend credit. That's yes. why private organizations like microfinance institutions spring up, and and you're able to extend certain lines of credit for for these poor people to get out of. But but if I've read uh, this book, Poor Economics, right? Mm-hmm. And. In poor economics, there's not one end-all, be-all solution. Mm -hmm. It's not government aid. It's not, for example, giving uh, free nets to -hmm. people. And and a lot of these people are it's it's all cultural. Yes, there are poor people who won't take the free net because it's free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to charge something because there's uh, either suspicion behind it Mm -hmm. or there's pride culturally.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know when when you when you talk about this stuff. You kind of went on a digression, right? No, but (laughs) it's fine. It's fine because because it's all really it's really all connected. Because people will go ahead and say that you know, for instance, another thing that uh, corporations in particular and capitalism leads to globalism, and that you know globalism destroys cultures and you know exacerbates inequality and you know, but like we pointed with the numbers, that's not true, right? But another thing, a beautiful thing about capitalism, it's all focused on the idea of trade. It's all focused on the idea that – but what, what happens with trade? Not only do um, goods get traded, customs, and ideas, culturals, I- cultures, ideas, principles, these get traded too. So not only is capitalism enriching the world in terms of a monetary way, it's also enriching the world in terms of culture.
0: Looking back at history, I mean who is your favorite uh, example of that? Well – I mean, I could say it. I mean, go, ahead, go ahead, Alexander. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And you know, to be to be frank with you, there's a, there's another great saying out there that like, when it comes to trade, if goods are not going beyond between borders, armies will eventually. Right. And that's why you know I I try to tell people like you know capitalism is all about trade. It's not necessarily about you know the the rich taking advantage of the poor or any of these other misnomers that people have. But then they, then they get angry and they say, well, look. Corporations, CEOs get these obscene profits at the expense and the, you know, of the consumers and the workers. Now, something that, you know, we talked about, and this is, you know, earlier today, right. I mentioned Carl Menger, the founder of the Austrian school. His idea about, you know, time calculation and time perception is that when you are a, when you are working and getting a salary, if you get paid every two weeks, you're guaranteed that salary every two weeks.
0: Right. Yes. If
1: you are a, you know, a entrepreneur, you're not necessarily guaranteed a, a guaranteed profits.
0: No, and and that salary has to be paid. Otherwise, you don't have employees that next week.
1: Exactly. And what happens with a lot of people, but the thing is like most people don't understand payroll.
0: And those payrolls are on credit. Thank you, you very much. You may have not even taken a profit yes. yet.
1: thank you very much. And a lot of people, they have their payrolls through a line of credit. And what happens? They get themselves in debt. So there's a misunderstanding of how the bus- business cycle works and how businesses work. And I think this fundamental misunderstanding makes people believe that Oh, the CEOs are completely destroying and ravaging their workers and everything like this. But again, to to to, to reiterate that point. I, I mean, I
0: don't see a gun to the, head, the heads of those workers. Yes. Speak on that, please. I I don't know if I want
1: to. <laughs> <Experiment>. <laughs> well, no, I mean, speaking on in the sense of like nobody is forcing these people to work right. there. You know, like um we talked about the other day uh, Amazon and what's going on with Amazon and how that's getting, you know, um totally uh, misunderstood. You know, people were trying to tell me that, oh, look, Jeff uh, Jeff Bezos got uh, bullied by uh, a couple senators here and there right. to uh, to make the wages fifteen minimum dollars a wage. But what people don't understand, you know, as uh, economist Peter Schiff wrote, he said that Bezos is no fool. He's going to reduce his headcount, right. step up his automation efforts to eliminate as many low skilled jobs from Amazon. Then he's going to lobby Congress to increase the minimum wage for his competitors that still employ low skilled workers. As these competitors will lack the resources to automate like the Amazon does, you know, the capital they have, they will be driven out of business and all the workers will lose their jobs. Less competition will make it easier for Amazon to raise its prices. Now,
0: who's guaranteeing that?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well,
0: who's who's the actor? I mean, there's one the capital C word in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's
0: legislation that's yeah. going to guarantee Congress.
1: that. Lobby Congress. Yeah. Exactly, but the thing is, is what people don't understand is that why it's funny now because people are like oh, Bezos is uh, is p- promoting this. They think he's doing this out of the kindness of his own heart, right. or they think he's doing this because he actually cares. No, no, no. And you know, people are like thinking, oh, he's uh, when I say care, when I say care, I mean care that he thinks that they think they he cares about the minimum wage the same way they do. Right. And that's not the way he's looking at it.
0: And the one thing that I think also maybe we should have cleared up earlier, please. It, it, please it's, do. You don't want to say that that there is no greed, of course. In capitalism, of course, there is greed. Of Everyone course. has greed. Of course. Um, of course, there are people who are acting. There was in, greed in, in, in the Soviet self- Union.
1: In... There's greed in Venezuela right now.
0: Right, but, but which, which <laughs> doesn't matter. Where which it is. platform guarantees that someone with maybe some more virtue mm-hmm. has an opportunity to compete as well? Exactly.
1: It's only and cap- that's capitalism. It's only it's the only system in the world that so has if, lifted if poverty out. If I think poverty,
0: Bezos is absolutely despicable. Then then you know it, it, without. Congress acting on his behalf. <laughs> yes. I can come in and potentially try and create a business that competes.
1: Well, that's see, this is what people need to understand about it too. Every every dollar spent by any consumer right, at a place is a is vote. Is a vote, absolutely, yes. That is the most democratic thing you can possibly do.
0: Well, because it <laughs> they have no choice but to listen. If exactly. they're not
1: turning a profit, exactly. they're going
0: to turn away from, they're going to go out of business.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they go out of business or they're going to have to change their ways. They're going to have to change their, their strategies. They're going to have to change the way they approach.
0: To, to attract you and your dollars. Exactly. Otherwise, why are they in business? Exactly. Unless they're being subsidized, then of course, they're going to stick around because it's my tax dollars that's going there.
1: Precisely, precisely. And, you know, And this gets, and you know, we talked. We talked a little bit. We talked, you know, quite a bit today about myths. And you know, the problem with most of these myths is like people will look at headlines, will see buzzwords, will see things that already confirm their presuppositions of the world. Right. But what's behind that? Well, I mean, so I think behind all this is like there's, you know, there's ideologies that you have before you do research. So, for instance. Back in the day, I used to consider myself a Marxist, sure. right? And I was a Marxist, and I didn't read any of Marx. I didn't read that much. I mean, I barely did read any of it. I, I heard some YouTube videos here and there. Right. I like what I heard. Well, I mean, it's those
0: buzzwords you're talking about. Well, it's exactly it.
1: It's exactly it.
0: Greed is bad. Oh, really? Are you serious? Really? Greed <laughs> well, is bad.
1: Well, the thing is, like, and this is this is this is. And no one wants to, to
0: to to you know trample on the poor either.
1: No, but the thing about it is, the misconception is they think capitalists are the ones trampling on the poor. Right. Versus, look at every other country. Look at look. You want to take an example of this? Sure. Look at Africa. Right. Mm-hmm. Take Botswana. Okay. Botswana has a per capita income, right, of eighteen thousand eight hundred and twenty-five dollars per year. As of 2015, right next door, yeah, right next door to Zimbabwe, <laughs> their per capita GDP is $600, the third lowest in the world. Guess which one's a socialist country?
0: The one with the lights off?
1: <laughs> yeah, the one with the lights off. Exactly. And the average wage in, in uh, Zimbabwe is $253 a month, and that's for 30% of the population who are employed. The other 70 aren't. But the craziest thing is that the highest government salary is five hundred and eight dollars a month. Hmm. I wonder why that hmm. is primarily, and this is and this is a socialist country they they uh, de, uh, they de um, they took land from people and they collectivized it and gave it, you know so right. they're doing a lot of policies that a lot of you know quote unquote socialists like and you know that that are there, but look at look at the results. Look at Venezuela too. Look at the results there. And the thing is, like, people will make the statement, you know, especially socialists will make the statement, well, that wasn't real socialism. Well, that's very convenient. If you can just, every (sighs) time I point at a failure, you just say, you just obfuscate and say, well, that's not really what it is.
0: Or just relabel it.
1: Or just relabel it. You know, and then you put, you put a, you know, a buzzword in front of socialism, like, for instance, democratic, or for instance, you know, uh, party socialism, or, or, you know, Fabian socialism. That was a thing that was created in Britain in the late 1800s. And the I was picked up uh, by uh, the people after Churchill in in London, but again they just put the thing is socialism is socialism, right? Uh, price allocation is dependent. So there's
0: bring, a definition for that too. If you want, to.
1: please go ahead. Sure, Let's I mean, bring it. I
0: need these. the first sense is the perfect one, and it and it, it hits right on that point. Yes, I mean, no matter what pre, um, it's not a prefix, is it? If you add a word in front, no, no. Whatever descriptive adjective word that you add to that word of socialism, it doesn't matter, and this mm-hmm. this takes care of it right away, so the first sense any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods any
1: yeah that, that's that's my
0: key word right there,
1: yeah, and when i when I think of you know for instance democratizing. "Quote unquote democratizing fields, democratizing factors." But what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what it means because you cannot use the word collectivizing anymore without thinking about mass amount of people dying. Sure. Because every time collectivization was has ever implemented, has always had negative connotations. People either have been killed, people are thrown into jail, or gulags,
0: or your, your property is just taken away. Or your your property is taken away in the simplest form, yeah.
1: right? So collectivization cannot be used. So you need to use a different word. To clear the field of any negativity.
0: And who doesn't like democracy?
1: Well, yeah, right? Cause it, it, it sounds, it sounds, you know, very wholesome. And many people think that's what this country is, a democracy and which is a fundamental fatal flaw in <laughs> understanding of the nation. But yeah, I mean, that's the problem. And the thing about the thing that gets me, you know, most angry about this in particular is that there has, there, I mean, there is so much evidence right now. And this is why I changed my mind when i was a marxist primarily cuz i read marx right, right. i read uh, buchanan uh, uh, buchanan yeah buchanan yeah and then i also read kropotkin and you know buchanan and kropotkin are both you know anarcho-syndicalists you know you know anarcho communists basically so the difference is just for anybody out there that you know Is hearing all these names and not really understanding. Marx's idea of how, you know, communism would be put into place is that there's social, there's a, there's a uh, capitalist country or whatever that collapses through revolution. Then there's state socialism, which is also known as dictatorship of the proletariat, dictatorship of the people who are now controlling the government, aka, you know, democratized state, you know, state socialism. Then from there, it's supposed to change and become a free, stateless society known as communism. The difference between them and the anarchists: the anarchists didn't have a dictatorship of the proletariat. They just went directly to, you know, stateless communism, and, and they th- tried this in the French Commune, sure. and, it, and it, it ended with violence and bloodshed.
0: This is a legitimate question. Please and do. Go and ahead. so, so in Venezuela right now, mm-hmm. what what is it described as? Are they are they calling it a, a form of democratic socialism? Oh, let me let me tell you. Like, what Do it's the described people as. have a voice? Do they acknowledge that the people have a voice? So right now, if no. if they voted. Yeah, to, against to put, socialism, would they not have socialism any longer?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I would, I would be very, it'd be very funny to check to test that out. But let me tell you what Venezuela called themselves. Right? Uh, they called themselves and them Lula from Brazil and a couple other presidents. that were holding hands, chanting Jeremy Corbyn there, and all these other people were there. Nice photo op. Very nice, very nice photo op. Very nice optics. And what did What they were? What were they saying? This is dem- this is socialism in the 21st century. This is going to change the world. We're going to show the world. We're going to show the capitalist class. We're going to show everybody what happened to these countries. Where's Lula from Brazil? He's going to jail for embezzling money between him and his friends. Hmm. What happened to Venezuela recently? The, the people in Venezuela have a humanitarian crisis. People are right. starving. They lost 19 pounds since all this crap has been going down. Right? What is their leader doing? He's in Turkey eating with Salt Bay, <laughs> cutting up his food in front of him, smoking cigars, smoking cigars and yeah. eating steak, has people haven't seen steak in months, let alone maybe even years.
0: They're eating pets. They're eating See, garbage.
1: But this is the problem. You have to – I mean you cannot just say, well, that's not real socialism. Yes, maybe you're imaginary oh, but you know what, that, you know what they really mean by that? Well, know,
0: well, well, the path to socialism was, was socialist. But, but then when they arrived there and they didn't like the result mm. –
1: Well, I'll tell you what this is. When people say that's not real socialism, what are they really telling you? They didn't like the result. No. Oh. I think it's different. OK. I think it's actually much worse. I think what they're really saying is like, well, look, if I was the if dictator. If we continue on this path a benevolence dictatorship. No, not even that. Okay. No. It's like, well, if I was the dictator of this socialist government, I would make things wonderful. I would make things beautiful. It's these people who got corrupted by, you know, a.k.a. the CIA or any other now, whatever. So my
0: question is always how. How? Well, like, can you please expound on that? Like, you. how would you do that?
1: Well, that's the thing.
0: Do you know how many people want to eat this and how many people want to consume that? I mean, how does that happen?
1: Well, that's what happened in the Soviet Union when when Lenin took over, right? And he put his hanging orders for hanging people that didn't give their food away nice. and stuff like this. Very, very, you know, Classy. peaceful, very wonderful. Right? Um, what happened right after that? He got rid of the prices. He got rid of money. And what happened right after that? The whole Soviet Union went, I mean, the whole. It was chaos. It was chaos. And what did he, what did he end up doing? He ended up reinstituting the ruble and allowing people to use money again. Because it didn't, the theory didn't work in practice. People went back to a barter economy from the Stone Age. (laughs) Like, I'm not lying. (laughs)
0: They're originally, Yeah, they originally, yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) But what else happened in that period of time? People are like, oh, the Soviet Union had prices. Do people really know how they got the prices? Oh, a little secret is they would get American, you know, Books from Sears and all this stuff and look at the price of stuff and then, you relative know. Relative to that. Say, yeah, relative yeah. to that. But in reality, they were getting old magazines and the prices were wrong. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> and that's why their economy never grew to like, you know, the size of even a third of ours. I mean, people have stated that, you know, it, they had, the military power was very strong, but that the economic power wasn't there. And that's ultimately why, in my opinion, and I think we can factually prove this, uh, socialism will never work. And I think it'll never work for three reasons. The economic calculation problem. How can you calculate prices? How do you know where to allocate the resources? How do you find this out? The next problem is a knowledge problem. How you, There's no time. There's no place where you can have all the knowledge needed to make a centralized or decentralized decision like that right. for m- mass amounts of people. And finally, it's the incentive problem. When you, when you get rid or quote-unquote get rid of all this stuff, what happens to incentives? The incentives get massively changed. Especially the people who are on that margin, well, exactly between
0: leaving between leaving the lower class and and getting those uh, government programs, or, exactly, and, and then moving into the middle class. Well, it, it, if I make one extra dollar, yeah, all this stuff is taken away from me, and I'm 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 working, you know, X number of hours a week, and and, and whereas opposed, I'm just sitting on. I'm not, I don't want to be vulgar.
1: But. Yeah, but the thing is, like you know, Mises and Hayek, they both talked about like. They argue that you know economic calculation is only possible through the information provided through market prices, and that you know bureaucratic or right. technocratic methods of allocating the lack you know the lack you know allocating the resources rationally doesn't really work out.
0: And who determines the rational? Re- al- excuse me. Who who determines the rational allocation of those resources?
1: Well, exactly. But then this has to go into. Well, it has
0: to be the consumer that, that knows what they want or he, he or what, she wants.
1: What changes? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. It's going to go towards quote unquote the common good or the public good. Yes. That's what they say. Right. But who determines what's a common good? Who determines
0: what's a public good? Well, the people at the top who think that they know best for those at the bottom. See, and this is what happened. You don't know what you want. Well, this is what happened. So let in, me help you get there. See, this there.
1: is what, this is what happened. <laughs> you said it so perfectly, man. This is what happened in, in the Soviet Union. So, I mean, in the Soviet Union, a lot of things happened that people don't understand. And people will say today, "Oh, that wasn't that wasn't socialism. That wasn't." Co-. They considered themselves socialists. USSR, United Socialist Soviet Republics. <laughs> you Can you know? refresh
0: my memory on what Nazis stood for?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, National Socialist Party of yeah. Uh, Germany. Yeah. Just, yeah, National Socialist Workers Party of Germany. Excuse me. <laughs> so, um yeah, but the thing is, what happened after that? After they realized that the failure, the failure in Marxism, really was that you know. You had to wait for the masses to revolt, or wait for capitalism to collapse economically. I
0: don't think that, that didn't happened. happen. Yeah. That doesn't happen.
1: What? What? So that's a failure. That's one failure that Marx had. What do you have to do next? So the next iteration of that was what Lenin did. Try an intellectual vanguard, the industrialized version, and then Mao. He tried the industrial, you know, intellectual vanguard, the agrarian version, you know, the, the the you know the agricultural version. Right. What happened in both those countries? Mass murder. Death, um, pollution like nobody's ever seen, heard of Chernobyl, you know, all these places, right? All And the thing is, like, they were a complete government-run society. What happened to all the regulations they had for Chernobyl? How come that happened? If that's the case, how come we didn't have as catastrophic failure as they did? And we had catastrophic well, The, the answer
0: always is, well, next time we'll, we'll foresee this. Well,
1: well, exactly. Prevent this. Exactly. With the,
0: more regulation.
1: More regulation or more whatever. But the thing is, this is what people are, are trying to imagine as socialism as you need. So – Right now, a lot of people think you need an intellectual vanguard, you know, this intellectual class to, because you know, for instance, and this is how mystical communism actually is right. at the end of the day. Well, uh, who knows what the proletariat wants? Nobody really knows, but we need, we need a person to commune with the proletariat. It's kind of like religion. We right. need someone to commune with God to tell us what God wants. It's like the same thing with communism. We need someone to commune with the proletariat who knows what the proletariat wants, aka Lenin.
0: Can you enlighten me, uh, definition of proletariat?
1: So this is a, uh, proletariat. So this is a very interesting definition, and basically it means workers or working class people. Um, historically, in, you know, it originally started as the lowest class citizens in ancient Rome. That's okay. where that term originated, the okay. lowest class citizens in ancient Rome, but what it meant during Marx's time was middle class. Ah, that's what it meant. Okay, really? Pro, I mean, pro, I mean, basically a working class, right?
0: So, from what you just said, they they, they were champions of the middle class.
1: Suppose, yeah, suppose, and the and the lower classes below, okay, them, right? Or no, excuse me, not the middle class. Sorry, 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 sorry. The low, the lower class. Okay, what? Ber- so what? Ber- Bourgeoisie. They were the
0: bourgeois. But
1: ber- the, the bourgeois, the bourgeois, the bourgeoisies, those were the middle class, right? Right, and then the capitalist class—you know—that's in, in addition to them as well. But that's what the proletariat is. That's what it stands for. Right? Is the working class, the workers, um, the masses? That's another term. And when they you say use.
0: commune, um, in, in, you're using that in, in terms of what? What's happening when they're trying to commune? You're using that as a verb.
1: What was? What, what, what did I
0: say? Uh, the intellectual class is trying to commune.
1: Oh, commune. So meaning. That means like – so for instance, uh, when – who knows? So when I say who knows what the proletariat wants? Right. Meaning nobody can know what that is. You need a person who understands what the proletariat – All these
0: intellectuals calculating the error out of well, everything. Yeah, and we, the, can, need, we can figure it need, out.
1: Yeah, and the thing is like, you need someone. You need a figure right. to commune with them, to discuss with them and they can tell you the things. And this figure will then implement what the, what the masses want. And that's what happened under Lenin and then – and after that, Stalin – but they didn't. They didn't implement what the masses want. And number one, see, I can
0: never reconcile that because because you're gonna you're talking about the masses. We're yes. talking about if we're talking about more than two people, <laughs> you're gonna get more than two people to agree on one thing, one direction for an entire country to go in, and in, one, in way, one system, and in one way. Exactly, and, and then
1: make it make it to a point where see
0: where everyone gets what they want.
1: Yeah, and, and under my under my you know version of a free society, and my idea of capitalism. You can have a normal corporation the way that's set up now, or you can choose to have a a collective, you know, co-op. No one's stopping you from doing that. No one's stopping you. That's the
0: beauty of capitalism.
1: Exactly. That's why I think, you know, it allows people to test these ideas out. It allows people to actually, you know, well, look, I don't really believe in a market, you know, oriented thing. So I'm going to create a company that's not operated in a market oriented way.
0: But you are operating in a market.
1: Well, quote unquote, you are still. But the thing is like the fundamentals of how decisions are made are quote unquote democratized. I don't know what that means. Well, everybody has a say. Everybody has collective ownership. So in some way or another, it's – it's again, it's a lot of buzzwords. There is – again, there Can, is we,
0: can we break – maybe I, I was – shame on me for not getting the, the <laughs> definitions of that. What is collective ownership?
1: So collective ownership. So this goes to a, a few different things. So – OK. So let's start with self-ownership. Okay. Right. So, self ownership is the idea and the belief that you own your body, you own your labor. Sure. Right. In terms of you own the ability to sell your labor off to the highest bidder, you own the ability to, and you own your your thought, you own your your rational faculties, you own your ideas. This is your self ownership. Okay. Okay. That self ownership is the foundational principle that led to individual rights, rights that maximize the individual's freedom and rights that protect individuals' lives. Sure. Right. Okay. Collect, I mean, uh, collective. What was the collective ownership? Collective ownership. Now, there's people out there. I mentioned Peter Kropotkin, the guy who wrote The Conquest of Bread. He was an anarcho-communist. He didn't believe in, uh, you know, private property or ownership at all. Like that, he saw. So, for instance, Kropotkin was a little crazier than Marx in a way. He believed that, well, if you have a toothbrush, there's no personal property or personal uh, or personal. They used to call it personal property instead of private. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll sure. get to that distinction in a second. Kropotkin would say, "That's not your toothbrush. That's everybody's toothbrush." Gross. Very much so. (laughs) Very much. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) The first
0: thing that comes to mind. Yeah, very
1: gross. But that's that's what he would say, and that's what they mean technically. They mean that okay. Well, if you're going to have some type of business, like if you're going to be a steel factory, steel mill, everybody has to have a particular share in that company that's equal to everybody else.
0: But what does that mean? And the, the particular share you're talking about in, in terms of equity of the company and what, what profits is that is that what it is I would imagine so yes. okay or well, how do you determine who gets what so so every time someone's onboarded I mean everyone's share is diluted right
1: like, well it's, see that's a whole other set see this is
0: or maybe this, I'm, I'm maybe I mean no, no, I'm I'm, no, I'm no, asking right. questions I don't no, no, understand you're, no this. you're right though yeah
1: this is, see this is the, this is the contradiction so if we it's expand. As expand company, the company, yeah.
0: And I have to bring on more headcount. Everybody's shares uh, get devalued. The expenses go up. Everybody's
1: shares get devalued, yeah. Which is not fair. But the thing is, like, if a majority, maybe, maybe I have to have a majority vote, sure. you know, because to make it. I, I guess I,
0: I understand, like, maybe if the, the value of the company goes up, everyone's sure. shares increases. But, that's not but if you're continuously onboarding, you're obviously diluting the value of those shares.
1: Exactly, which, which kind of contradicts the point that, you know, this is the best way to allocate the resources in the company. Right. And this is the best way to make decisions.
0: And then, I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like there's maybe a little jealousy that might happen. You know, uh, like possible. for example, in Amazon, uh, would a delivery driver yes. get the same number of shares or value as, let's say, a software engineer or Jeff Bezos
1: or somebody who's actually packaging the stuff? Right. You know, and I, I don't, I don't think these are easy answers that can be made by some community or some council of intellectual elders that can, you know, I, or should this, I? Just just
0: get a contract negotiate how much i think it's worth and just sign it and mutually agree that i should just work for amazon
1: yeah and i think that's a and when i'm
0: tired of it i can leave
1: yeah i think see the thing is that's less complicated number 1 and number 2 it doesn't create in contradictions that hurt the rest of the people working at the company there <laughs> you know i mean granted if you make a bad decision and you work for a wage lower than you what you're worth Right. And a lot of people make that decision. Right. Sometimes they have to.
0: I've made that decision. Of course. A hundred
1: percent. But at, at that time, you already know that you made that decision and you're going to have to you know, deal with it. Until you're ready to leave and move on and, you know, get more skills and more right. skills can transfer. Well, well
0: it's your, it's on, it's on you. The onus is on you to evaluate the market, how much you're worth, how
1: much your skills are worth mm-hmm. and go into the market and test it out. You but send, see, the problem with that, that takes a lot of self-responsibility. Right. But most people don't want to take this self-responsibility. They just want to, you know, look at a scapegoat. I mean, this is – Well, the I, 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 point just came to mind. Yes. Okay. So
0: it's one company versus the other. So the steel mill versus Amazon. I mean who determines what that's worth? I mean that there right there there's a market taking place. Well of course will my shares as a of a, as a collective owner at Amazon be worth more than than this place? Well then obviously there's a there's a determination and self interest to, to work see, here as this opposed is, to there. That's
1: where the, see, this is where the self contradictory nature of it becomes. When you talk about collectivizing or democratizing a company, what does that really mean? Right. Right? And is everybody and the thing is like Well,
0: I, I've heard that the de- de- dem- democratization, I'm sorry. Yes, that's all. Um <laughs> uh, the democratization of that company. Mhm. It's it, everyone has an equal say, which yes. sounds like a freaking disaster. Mm-hmm. everyone has an equal say in the direction of the company, uh what decisions they make. Now maybe I again I could be uh misinterpreting what that means For or sure. mischaracterizing For sure. what uh democratization of a, a company mm-hmm. is and and who has the final say, but I, I don't know. I just don't get that. And you, it, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I guess like to democratize means make something accessible to everyone.
0: Okay, is it not already? I don't know.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's like it also refers to like substantial political change moving in a democratic direction. Now, if you want to go by direct democracy, everybody has a particular vote in the company. So, for instance, if Amazon right. was you know a, a, you know a, a co op, sure. if Amazon wanted to make any foreign investment or any investment at all, it'd have to get the vote of everybody else.
0: Well. well Again, but, I'm confused. So should should the same? Okay, so <laughs> should the financial analyst get the same uh, equal vote. say as? Uh, I'm not trying to poop no, on uh, on a packager, but no, but, but, that's, but the that's packager is. isn't looking at the numbers. They're no. not looking at the the NPV of that decision. That's
1: the whole point of the division of labor. Right. Hello, <laughs> you I mean, have people I mean, focus on things that are important. For that particular, you know, so how is the sector.
0: value of these uh excuse me how is the uh how are these decisions determined if-
1: that's the point That's the thing this is a it's a it's a factually bankrupt and also a in my opinion, a, a cocky ma solution to actually uh you know make people in a company better off now and
0: imagine the time it would take. The time it would take to get all that – I mean let's let's, let's – we'll give them benefit of the doubt. Okay. Okay. Right? Okay, yes. Let's yes, say yes, – yes. okay. So they get all the finance guys together. Mm-hmm. They crunch the numbers and they disseminate this information to everyone in the company so that everyone has that equal say and yes. uh, the equal amount of information. Yes. Now let's say someone like in a normal democratic republic we have today mm-hmm. doesn't do their due diligence as a voter mm-hmm. and has all the information when they go to cast their vote. Yes. Right? Now – In the time that it takes, one, to disseminate all this information, two, Mm -hmm. everyone to read this information, take it in, and decide what vote they want to make and what direction they want to take the company in. Mm -hmm. And then you have the person who hasn't taken all the information incorrectly or anything at all, and they're maybe being coerced by certain people to Mm -hmm. cast their vote a certain way. Again, could be mischaracterizing this entire thing, but this is how I'm imagining it going down. I mean, how, how much time have we had to make a move in this market?
1: well i mean exactly but the thing is that's why it's so ridiculous that's why it you need executive decisions you need executive decisions and there's no and there's no way you can get all the knowledge you can about what's going on without having uh, some type of structure that's incent- that incent has the correct incentives now when you screw with the incentives there's inherent problems that are going to be made but you know consider this too i mean the way capitalism's engine it's 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 an engine for growth man i mean look at this it's sustaining right now 7 plus billion people in the world, right? Compared mm-hmm. to 1 billion in 1800. Wow. Okay. So think about this. Deidre McCloskey, she's an economist and she's uh, noted multiple times, if you multiply the gains in consumption to the average human by the gain in life expectancy worldwide, mm-hmm. so uh, by seven. So for 7 billion as compared to 1 billion, humanity as a whole is better off by a factor of 120. Now, hear me out. That's not 120 percent better off. That's 127 times better off. So nobody can sit here and hit me with their utopian socialist views or their "quote unquote" scientific socialist views right. or you know scientific. Well, it's scientific though. Well, that's what happened. Well, <laughs> because you know socialism again quickly, and we have uh, I think five minutes here to, to end off. But quickly to iterate this, socialism started as utopian. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Marx, uh, and Engels, Engels had a book about, uh, socialism called, you know, Utopian Socialism and Scientific Socialism and the New Socialism that he was writing about. I mean, it, uh, they, uh, they understood that, you know, Marx and Engels understood that, okay, the utopian version of socialism that, that ones before us have talked about is not logical, doesn't make sense, it's not based in science. So what Marx and Engels try to do, right, is create a term called Scientific Socialism, aka Marxism, aka Communism. Right, right. that failed. Now, the new term is democratic socialism, right? And that's you can see, Utopian socialism., eh, it didn't work. Scientific socialism., eh, it didn't work. Now we're going to try democratic socialism. How many yeah. times do we have to try a different version of the same bad idea oh. until people realize that the idea isn't necessarily helping people, it's making people worse and, and more poor, more poor. And that quote right there by Dedre McCloskey. About the amount of people that have been, you know, how how much the world's better off. You cannot tell me with the data from there, the data about the middle class growing, the data about China and India, a a billion people in the last 30 years have been lifted out of poverty. You cannot tell me and look at me straight in the face after you hear these, after you get this information, you cannot sit here and tell me that socialism and that capitalism hurts people and make people more poor.
0: Well, yeah. What was
1: was going on in eighteen hundred? nothing <laughs> nothing people were working everybody in the things everybody was working on farms
0: well then the question is, is All they, day they always long. well on the opposite side of capitalism they always say you know how many people have to die in capitalism before we we, we figure out this is not the right way well I I would ask the question how many times how many economies do you have to destroy before you accept capitalism
1: exactly and not only destroy uh, de- demoralize the people because the see we can talk about the academic stuff here we can talk about things but And this is what I really want to end on today. What socialism ultimately does, in my opinion, and this is after what I've seen it do to other countries, my, you know, Iraq. You know, is a country that was under a socialist government for years and years and years. And you can see what happened economically there. You can see what happened to everybody going to school there. And they're coming here and they don't have the proper education because the schools suck out there and education. <laughs> and everything else sucks out there primarily because of their economic policies, as well as, you know, other religious uh, f- fighting and all this other stuff, and as well as wars that have gone on. But I'm going to end on this. What socialism ultimately is, is a defeatist ideology. It's an ideology that wants you to make yourself look, wants to take yourself, not pay, don't pay attention to the data. Don't pay, don't pay attention to the world getting better. Don't pay attention to every single day for the last 25 years, 137,000 people were lifted out of extreme poverty. Right. Don't look at that. Look at yourself. Blame all your problems that you have internally right now. And a lot of people have a lot of internal problems, including myself, but blame all those problems on a, scapegoat. Blame all those problems on this. You know, oh, the reason why I'm not being able to find a job right now is because, quote unquote, you know, I'm being exploited or, you know, they don't want me to get better.
0: And fighting but, that scapegoat and fighting fighting that that problem is is your absolution. It's your and absolution, and it's
1: much easier. I'll tell you this, it's much easier to, you know, to look at the world and say, oh, the world is this and the world is that, rather than to look into yourself and say, what changes do I need to make to make myself better off and to make the world better off? Now, I'm going to give you the last word for today. And just tell me, what do you, th- I mean, we had a great talk today. I'm, I'm so happy and so thankful you came here today, Dee. really, I am. time. I, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Oh. I right, got a bunch of these. And the thing is, I want you to kind of give me where do you think this is going to go from now? Because you and me and other people out there that you know, love freedom, that love – that want people to become entrepreneurs, that want people to become the best version of themselves. Socialism isn't the answer for that. Socialism is not going to offer that to people. Right. What do you think and how do you think we can you know, help people out there get – I mean obviously doing this. But what else, what else should we do?
0: Get out of the way. Hmm. Just get out of the way. Hmm. Let people okay. do what they need to do and they'll figure it out.
1: Okay. Good. Good well i want to thank you today uh thank the listeners i want to thank you today d and i I just quickly just want to say uh to everybody that you know the stuff we talk about the stuff we say is important to understand primarily because if we want a better world, if we want a world that will have a reduction of poverty and you know more middle class and, and those people in the middle class getting richer and getting you know smarter and able to take care of their families and take care of the world. If we want a society like that, we need a society that will maximize the individual freedom and the economic freedom and the social freedom for everybody. And I truly believe and I would, I would say D also believes that that capitalism is the way to go in that. Would yeah. you
0: absolutely fantastic good economics is bad politics.
1: Huh. Wow, great way to end it. Thank you. Thank you, guys.